We've been looking at the life of Jesus and we've been talking about the idea of being a rebel. Yes, if you would like to take notes on the paper in your chair, there is a cup of pins in the back. Feel free to go grab one. Ain't nobody got time for that. Or do it on your phone, whatever. All right, sweet brown, get out of here. All right, we've been talking about rebel. Four weeks now we've been looking at the life of Jesus and talking about how Jesus' life was different than what everybody expected. That when you think of this idea of being a rebel, it typically means you go against the grain. You do things that people don't expect you to do, sometimes things that people don't want you to do. And as we looked at Jesus' life, we see that all over the place. In fact, it started three weeks ago, four weeks ago. No, this is the fifth week, so four weeks ago. We're good. Does anybody tell me what we talked about the first week? And I know it was Jesus. Jesus... Jesus changed the rules. Yes. He changed the rules. If you look at the way Jesus was born, people were expecting the Messiah to be this king, this ruler that came in. And from the very moment he was born, Jesus changed the way people thought things should happen. He talked about the fact that he came to fulfill the law, not to abolish the law. And he helped those religious leaders understand that the way they were following the rules is not the way God intended it. So he helped him to change the rules a little bit. What about week two? Yes, hang out with the wrong people. Jesus chose the wrong crowd. I'll give you a hint. They all start with a CH. He chose the wrong crowd. Oh, I get it now. Four weeks later. Oh, when you look at what Jesus did and where he spent his time, Jesus didn't spend all his time with the religious people and the good people and the people that had it all together. Jesus spent his time with the people that everybody else didn't want anything to do with. He chose the crowd that even today we would look at and say, that's the wrong crowd. Those are not the kind of people that we should be hanging around with. That's exactly who Jesus spent most of his time with. And if that's what Jesus did, then that's what we're called to do. Because Jesus came to reach the people that need him the most, not the people that look like they have it all together. What about week number three? Oh, y'all got that one. Yes. Challenge authority. Jesus challenged the religious authority. Again, he challenged the way the Pharisees were, were carrying out the law, the law of Moses and, and the other 600 some odd laws that they had added to the law of Moses. And the idea that if Jesus challenged that authority to help them understand that God was more concerned about a relationship than he was about religious practices, then at some point in our life we've got to decide, are we letting God be the authority in our life? Or are we just playing the game and we're sticking to all those religious practices where we come to church and we read our Bible and we memorize the verses for Bible class and we do this and we do this and do this? Or are we really focusing on a relationship with God through Jesus Christ? And I challenged you that night to challenge the authority in your life. Was it going to be you or was it going to be God? Last week, what did we talk about? Chasing the grave. Yes. Jesus Christ from the moment he was born, was on a path to death. Every single person in this room, from the moment we are born, while we're getting older, while we're growing up, while we're changing, we're also dying at the same time. And we talked about the idea that Jesus' sole focus of his entire life was to get himself to the grave because that's what God sent him here to do. And during that whole time, while he's talking, while he's preaching, while he's teaching, everything you can see points to that. And if we are called to be followers of Jesus Christ, then we get the opportunity to live our life in the same way. 
to make the most of the time that we have, knowing that one day we're going to die. Some of us, sooner than later, we're going to die. But are you living your life in such a way that glorifies and honors God every single step of the way, the way Jesus Christ did? Because that's going to look weird to people. Every bit of what we've talked about is going to look strange to people. It may even look strange to people sitting right here in this room, people you go to church with every single day. But that's what Jesus lived out, and that's what he calls us to live out. So tonight we're doing the last one. We've done change the rules, choose the wrong crowd, challenge authority, chase the grave. Tonight, I want to challenge you to charge the gates. And I'm talking about the gates of hell. If you look at what Jesus Christ did, Jesus Christ did not just die and it was over. Jesus Christ came back to life three days later and He charged the gates of hell and He conquered sin and He conquered death and He did exactly what God sent Him to do. And you see, if you decide that you're going to do that, that you're going to live your life in a way that glorifies and honors God, that means that's exactly what you're doing. You're charging the gates of hell. You're telling Satan, I'm not going to be defeated by you. I'm not going to be scared by you. Those obstacles you throw in my way, I'm not worried about those. And I can promise you this. If you decide to live a life that honors Christ, you will face obstacles. There's no way around it. I found this out very clearly the hard way back in the summer of 2010, the summer before my family moved here. We had a lot of things going on. I was a youth pastor at a church down in Sarasota. And that year... We felt like God was telling us, hey, we need to do things different that summer. So what we decided to do that summer is, is our group had taken a mission trip down to uh, the Dominican Republic for about six years in a row. So we decided, okay, we're not going to do that anymore. We're going to go to Puerto Rico this summer. I'm sorry, not Puerto Rico. That was a different year. We're going to El Salvador this summer. Let me get them all right. So we planned this trip to El Salvador. And our first big obstacle is we went from taking 48 people to the Dominican Republic to taking 15 to El Salvador because we changed it up and people didn't know what to expect and they weren't sure they wanted to be a part of it anymore. And that same summer, we decided that instead of going to Big Stuff, which is this huge camp that's done at Daytona Beach and you've got thousands and thousands of people there, that we were going to do our own camp that summer and bring in a speaker and bring in a band. And that summer, we had more parents and students watching what we were doing just to see what was going to happen. And from the very beginning of that summer, roadblocks and obstacles started coming up. It started for me very early in the summer. I helped out with vacation Bible school at the church, and, and the way they did is they did vacation Bible school at night. And the second night of vacation Bible school, I get a phone call. Now, see, my, my mom's mom, my granny, had been sick for about three years. In fact, we thought she had, was going to die about a dozen times in that three years. So it was a phone call that I was kind of expecting but in reality, you're never really ready for a phone call like that. And I get the phone call from my mom at vacation Bible school while I'm leading these little third graders around, taking them to these different Egyptian stations and doing crafts. And my mom calls and says, Granny died. And see, I'm, I'm kind of prepared for this, but at the same time, I'm not really prepared for this. But you see, what threw me for a loop and what really seemed like an obstacle to me is that my mom and her three sisters had gotten together and now they have a pastor in the family. So they wanted me to do the funeral. Now, I had been a pastor for two years at this point, but I've never done a funeral before. And to make matters more interesting is as far as I know, most of my mom's family 
they don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. So not only do I have to get up there and try not to break down in the middle of preaching this funeral, I have got to find a way to share the gospel of Jesus Christ at this funeral. And i got to tell you guys, I was scared to death. I didn't think I was going to be able to do it. In fact, come to think of it, the only funerals I have done have been family funerals. They're hard. And I'll be honest with you, I broke down and cried a couple times while I'm talking. But at the same time, man, as hard as that was, I had the opportunity to share Christ with family members that I may have never had the courage to talk to had it not been for that situation. So I get through that. And about two weeks later, it's time for our mission trip to El Salvador, where we've never taken a group before. And some of you have probably heard this story, so I won't repeat all of it. But we get to El Salvador. This is a new trip. we got 15, 16 of us. And the very first day we're supposed to work. Billy, go ahead and throw that first picture up there. No, I'm not, I'm not showing a picture of my arm. This is where we're working. And if you can't see exactly what's going on here, there's a little metal shack up there at the top. This guy, the church where we were helping out, there's a gentleman in the church named Giovanni. And his house was that little metal shack built on the side of a hill. And once you start digging in that dirt, you go about 12 inches and you hit a layer of garbage. And then you hit a little more dirt and then 12 inches deeper you hit another layer of garbage. And it's just garbage and garbage and garbage because that's just how their society lived in this area. And what happened here is you can't see it very well in this picture, but there are tires stacked up in the dirt all the way along the front of Giovanni's house. And the problem with this design and this construction is that they get a lot of rain, and I'm talking hard, quick rain. And every time it rains, the dirt and those tires in front of Giovanni's house start washing away. And about 12 feet in front of his house, there's an 8-foot-wide, six-foot-deep, Drainage ditch. And when I say drainage, I mean drains everything. Rain, sewage. See that pipe running right there? That's the sewage pipe from the house behind him. Running just like that. That's where we were working. And you can see we're digging that hole there. What our job was that week was to dig out the ground, dig out all those tires, and pour a foundation so they could build a block wall. Because Giovanni told us that every single night when it rained hard, he would have to stay awake all night just in case he had to get his wife and his two daughters out of the house because it wasn't safe for him. That's where we got to work that summer. 30 minutes into that job site, day number one, as I'm trying to move a tree that we cut down, my foot slips on the edge of that drainage ditch. And you do what you would naturally do. You put your hands down to stop yourself from falling. Well, when I did that, there was an old rusted signpost sticking out of the ground about that far, covered up by the weeds. And as I put my arm down, it sliced my arm, punctured my arm, and stopped moving right about there. Thirty minutes into the first day. We're there for a week. I'm not happy. Because in my thinking, this is a major roadblock to what I'm supposed to be doing this summer. This is a problem. So I get up. They take me to the emergency room, which, by the way... Emergency room in El Salvador, not necessarily where you want to go. Go ahead and show Yeah, see that picture right there? This is me in the emergency room. You see how I've got my arm laid out? You know what's under my arm? A two-by-four that the doctor pulled out from under the bed when he came in and started working on me. 
And they work on my arm, get me taken care of. They didn't sew it up or anything. I've got a hole in my arm, and it stayed that way. I'll get to that in a minute. But here's my thinking. Okay, God, you brought me here to work and to work on this man's house. I'm going to work on this man's house. So that night, after the doctors cleaned up my arm, gotten all the metal out of it, I find gauze and packing tape in the room we're staying in. And the next morning, I proceed to wrap my arm as best I can in gauze. And then I took that packing tape and I wrapped it from my wrist to right here before you get to my elbow. And I went back out and I worked in that same ditch. Now, I'm not using my right hand, which is a problem because most things I do right-handed. But I'm carrying five gallons of buckets of dirt with my left hand. I even got in that ditch at one point and got a shovel with my left arm and tucked it up under my armpit. And I'm shoveling like this trying to throw it out. And I'm doing everything because this is what God called me to do. You see, the problem is by lunchtime that first day, my hand and my elbow, apparently you can wrap packing tape around your arm a little too tight. My hand and my elbow were twice their normal size. So I had to go back to the emergency room and let the doctor clean it out again. And this time he didn't numb it before he cleaned it out. So I'm just going to stop there. But you know what? As frustrated and as angry as I was about, okay, God, why, why would this happen? Why is this roadblock? Why is this obstacle going on right now? Now looking back, God gave me the opportunity to sit back and see him work in some ways that I would never have gotten to see. You see, the guys in our group went out and dug in that ditch. But the girls in our group stayed at an orphanage and played with the kids and worked on repainting some of the bedrooms and repainting some of the classrooms that they had there. And after I messed up my arm the second time and had to go to the emergency room the second time, the doctor told me I couldn't go back out to the job site. So I got to stay back and watch some of the girls work. And I got to see God work in ways that I would never have seen because I would have been out in that ditch with all the other guys. And see, it's amazing to me to see how God can use some of those things to show us things that we would never have even noticed before. But you see, the story keeps going. We get home, and the doctor decides before I leave, I go back for a third visit just so he can check out my arm. And he decides he's not going to sew it up. He would rather me get back to the States and talk to a doctor there, which, by the way, was a good thing according to my doctor in the States. So we come back on a Saturday, July 18th. My anniversary is July 19th, that Sunday. Now, just to give you a little perspective on that, Miss Kathleen and I, we have been doing youth ministry together since we both graduated from high school. So this is the first time in eight years in the summer of 2010 that one, if not both of us, was not on some kind of youth trip or camp or retreat on our anniversary during the summer. First time in eight years. You know how we spent our anniversary? In the emergency room, because I ran out of antibiotics the next day when we got back, and I had to get something. Eight years, that's real romantic, right? First time in eight years, we're in the emergency room, because I planned both of our trips a week apart so that I would be home, and we, we would actually get to be together on our anniversary. And we were together on our anniversary, and we were taking care of a problem from a youth trip and getting ready for the next one. I was like, okay, God, come on. Seriously? But you see, what happened is the next day I get to a doctor, and then on Tuesday they sent me to another doctor, and then Wednesday they sent me to another doctor, 
So Friday, they finally tell me, you need to go to a plastic surgeon to look at your arm because they may have to do some skin grafting, something to get this figured out. <laughs> I go to this doctor, and here's what he tells me, and this is kind of nasty, but I'm going to tell you anyway. The hole that's in my arm, he tells me this is the cleanest puncture wound he's ever seen. That if the doctor in El Salvador had sewn my arm up, about 99% that it would have gotten infected and I would have lost the lower part of my arm. So that guy knew what he was doing. God was taking care of it. And he tells me that he's not going to sew it up. What I had to do, this is the gross part, is I had to take gauze twice a day, dip it in saline, which is like a salt water solution, and stuff the gauze down in the hole. It did hurt. It felt great, let me tell you. And I had to do that for six weeks, twice a day, until it healed on its own, and eventually the gauze wouldn't go in the hole anymore. Now, here's the interesting part of that. You remember how I told you we also planned our camp that summer? I find out this information from the doctor on Friday. We leave for camp on Sunday, two days later. So up until, up until Friday, I didn't even know if we were, I was going to camp. Now, there were two of us. There were two youth pastors. We had two, two uh, campuses. My job was to plan camp. He planned some of the other retreats we did throughout the year. I had to take care of camp. The band, the speaker, the teachers, the college students, the Bible studies, the rooming, the food, the location, games. That was my responsibility. So a day and a half before camp, I don't even find out if I'm going to camp. And then it gets better. I get to go to camp. Sunday rolls around. I get a phone call from my summer intern, the college student, who tells me he's not going to be able to be there the first two days of camp because he's been called into work. Okay, well, that's a small problem because he's running wreck for me the entire week. That messes things up a little bit. Then I get a call from one of our adult leaders, same day, who says, hey, somebody else is out sick at work, and I've got to be at work the entire week. I'm not going to camp at all. Okay, God, take a deep breath. We can work through this. Then we get to camp. Our band, as they get there and they start unloading, they're missing about 15% of their gear because they forgot to pack it. So they can't even set up the way they're supposed to. Okay, God, we can work with this. We're scrounging behind the stage. We're looking for parts. We make it work. And then we get there to set up because we've got some video clips that our speaker is going to use throughout the week. And the projector that was there when we went and looked at the camp is gone because it quit working and they haven't replaced it yet. Okay, God, we can work around that. But the best part is the phone call I got about an hour after we got there from the pastor who was coming to preach for the week. He had booked his flight. He was on time. He was going to be there. The problem is he booked his flight to arrive two hours after the first service was supposed to have ended because he got the wrong time in an email. You see, thing after thing after thing just kept going wrong, and it just felt like, okay, God, this is what you wanted us to do. If this is what you want us to do, God, why in the world, why in the world are you letting every single thing happen that could happen and go wrong? But you see, now as I can sit back and look at it and look at that summer, I got to see God do some things that I would never have seen. That mission trip, the students that went on that mission trip told us, you know, those are the same students who have been going to the Dominican Republic for five or six years, that that was the most incredible mission trip they'd ever been on. 
the students that went to camp that summer, the adults that went to camp that summer, as frustrated as we were in the midst of this, when we got back, we saw God work in the lives of some of our students and some of our adults in ways that we had never seen before. You see, understand, when you decide to do something for God, when you decide to live for God, you're going to have problems. You're going to have obstacles. It may not be like this. This is just what happened in my life. You don't have a clue what's going to happen in yours. But you see, the reason this is important is because I want you to understand that if you actually make the decision to live for Him, you're going to face obstacles. And you shouldn't be surprised by it. I shouldn't have been surprised by it. It tells us in Scripture that Satan doesn't want us to accomplish things for God. It says that in 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9, be sober-minded, be watchful, be on alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. When you decide to live a life that honors God, you make yourself a target. You do. It's like the other day I was walking around my backyard and my kids got these big old Nerf guns for Christmas. And I mean, who, I'd say, Mandy and Lindsay, y'all been in that Nerf gun war with them already. Those things will fly. Those are, those are some powerful guns. You've got one of those guns, don't you? Yeah, there you go. Mandy knows what I'm talking about. And my kids just keep running up behind me and shooting me and I can't figure out why and all of a sudden Jerry goes, Dad, you got a target on your back. And see, I didn't realize it, but I've got this shirt from, from a beast feast that a church did down in Sarasota, and it's got a big target on the back of it. But you see, as funny as that is, that's what we do when we decide to live a life that honors God. We put a target on ourselves. We make ourselves a target of Satan because the last thing he wants is for your life to be active and successful for God. He doesn't want it. If he can distract you, if he can throw things at you, if he can get you focused on your problems and things going on at home and problems at school and with your team, whatever, if he can get your attention off of God, success. You're going to have a target on your back. But you know what? <laughs> when we decide to focus on God, then it's okay. Because that's what we need to expect. We don't need to be surprised by it. That summer in 2010, I should have known. Before any of that ever happened, I should have known. Now, I'm not saying Satan caused my granny to die. No, she was going to die anyway. But you know what? He could have very easily used that to distract me from everything else. He could have very easily used that or what happened in El Salvador or the problems we had at camp to keep my attention off of God. But that's not what God wants from us. Look at what it says in 2 Timothy 3, verse 10 through 13. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. 
we decide to live a life that honors God, you better get ready to get hit right between the eyes. That's what Paul's talking about right here. He's saying, look at, look at this. I've had all of these different things, these persecutions, these sufferings at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, and there's more that he doesn't name here. But then he says, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. You can expect to get hit right in the face with something you didn't even expect when you put your focus on God. And the sad thing is, you can expect it to come from places that you probably never expected it to come from. It could come from family. You want to go to church? You just want to go see your friends. You don't care about God. You're not going to church anymore. I've seen that happen to people. Little things like that. It could happen from your friends. Oh, God thing, that's great for Sunday and Wednesdays, but you got to go to this party on Friday night. Forget about God for a little while. And when you start to stand up to it and start to defend yourself, you start to have problems. And life gets difficult. It's a struggle. But God knows that struggle and God works in that struggle. Let me show you what Paul says that struggle looks like in Romans chapter 7. This is some verses you're probably familiar with. Starting in verse 21. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of good in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Some of you have probably experienced exactly what Paul is talking about here before. You, you, you go to camp or, or you have this experience or maybe you've just spent time in God's word and you know he's spoken to you. And you've made a decision that you're going to live in a way that honors him. And all of a sudden you get to school and those emotions from camp or that time with God start to fade. And those hard decisions that you said, you know what, God, this is yours. I'm giving it all to you. And as you get away from that experience, you start thinking, well, okay, God, maybe I'm not quite ready to give that up yet. Or maybe your friends don't understand a decision you've made to not do some things anymore. And you start getting hit and hit and hit. And we decide, okay, God, we're going to change our attitude. We're going to be nice to people. And then everybody around us starts being the most annoying people we've ever met. We're going to change our attitude. We're going to change our behavior. But others who have known us for a long time think, yeah, that's going to pass. They're just being fake. You see, it's going to happen. At that same summer camp that I was talking to you about, we had a seventh grade girl named Sonia. And Sonia, the last night of camp, when the, when the pastor gave the invitation, she's just got tears streaming down her face. And she comes down and she talks to him and she talks to one of our lady leaders and she prays for Jesus Christ to forgive her. And the next time I see her that night, she, she just can't get the smile off of her face. She's just beaming and all she can say is, I, just, I'm, I feel so clean. I just feel clean. And we talked to Sonia about that and what that meant. And we talked to her about the next step, about following Jesus in baptism and the obedience in that step of showing everybody else what she's done inside. So she goes home and she talks to her mom about that. <laughs> and her mom tells her, you don't need to do that. 
When you were a baby, you did that. We sprinkled you. So you've been baptized. It's okay. And Sonia was so upset and so angry because her mom wouldn't let her do what she knew God wanted her to do. But you know what? Then we had the opportunity to tell Sonia, you now have the opportunity to show your mom that it's real. Because she told her, she said, if you, she finally changed her mind. She said, if you want to get baptized, that's fine. But I want to know that it's, you're doing it for real. Not just because these church friends have told you to do it. So Sonia got the opportunity to live out her relationship with Jesus Christ in front of her mom. Her obstacle, her problems came from her own family. And yet she had the opportunity to show them what it looked like and to be a witness there. When this struggle comes, when we decide to live for God and we start getting hit, our natural tendency is to take the easy path. Okay, guys, you know what? They're right. You know, the things they're saying about me, the fact that I really am this person that they think I am, you know, it's not worth arguing. I'm just going to live my life the way everybody expects them to or expects me to. That's not what we're called to do. Because Paul continues in Romans chapter 7. It says, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. You see, Paul expected this struggle. He knew that this struggle, it wasn't because he was not, it wasn't because he was doing everything wrong. It's because Satan was attacking him. He knew that if he wanted to do right, when he had his mind in the right direction, when he had his thoughts in the right direction, when he had his heart in the right direction, Satan was right there trying to distract him. Paul knew it was a struggle. And we need to understand that every single day, it's going to be a struggle for us. Because you need to understand you're not wrestling against everybody else. Yeah, people have their opinions about you. People are going to say things about you. They're going to think things about you. But you're not struggling against them. You're struggling against Satan. And one of the biggest weapons he has against us is doubt. It's doubt. It's doubt that this thing is real. It's doubt that we really believe in Christ. But you see, it doesn't have to be that way. Look at what he says also in Ephesians 6.12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authority, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. The reason that is important is because it reminds us that there is a battle going on for you and I that we don't even see. That God and Satan are at war. Only Satan doesn't know he's already lost. So when I talk about charging the gates of hell, guess what? Satan's fighting a battle that he can't win. Satan's fighting a battle that Jesus Christ won the day he died on the cross and the day he came back from the grave. So when I talk about charging the gates of hell, it's knowing that no matter what we come up against, no matter what problems we have, no matter what Satan throws in our way, we don't have to be scared. We don't have to doubt. We don't have to worry because Jesus Christ has already won. And if we say we have a relationship with God through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we can charge those gates of hell and not even look back. That's what 
we're called to do. We don't have to be stopped. We don't have to be discouraged because it's done. Jesus Christ, when he was no longer physically with the disciples, don't you think there was doubt in their minds? Even when he gives them the great commission and he tells them, I know with all authority it's been given to me, I charge you, go make disciples, baptize in my name. Don't you think they had some doubt in the back of their heads? Like, okay, how are we going to do this without him? He's the one that's been casting out demons. He's the one that's been teaching people. He's the one that everybody's been following. Are they really going to listen to us? But you know what? They finally got it. And they understood that they had the power of Jesus Christ acting and living and working through them. And they could charge the gates of hell without being worried about anything. I'll show you a good example. And I've read this to you before in Acts chapter 4. Peter and John, they've been arrested. They've been called out. They've been threatened in regards to the fact that they are preaching Jesus Christ. And the people that put them on trial... Tell them, we're going to let you go, but we have one condition. You don't talk about Christ anymore. Some of us might say, okay, as long as we don't have to go to jail, we don't have to die. But look at what they say in Acts chapter 4. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and we have heard. That's charging the gates. That no matter what you face, no matter what obstacle comes up in your life, you can't but speak of what you have seen and heard. You can't help but talk to people about Jesus Christ. And even if you're not able to talk to them, you can live in such a way that shows people who Jesus Christ is. Through your actions, through the way that you treat people, that's the life we're called to. And it can be scary Especially when our friends don't understand why we're doing what we're doing. Especially when our family doesn't understand it or discourages it. But that's the power of Jesus Christ. That you and I, if we say we have a relationship with God through Him, we have. Because it's the Holy Spirit working in our life. So my question to you tonight is if you are sitting in here tonight and you say, you know what, Jesus Christ has forgiven me of my sins. I have the Holy Spirit in me. Are you ready to charge the gates of hell? Are you ready to do what God has called you to do? Not sit back. For those of you that go to NFC, not sit there in chapel with your hands in your pocket and your mouth closed while the band's playing because you don't want your friends to see you singing and it's not cool. Or not speaking out when somebody starts running their mouth about so-and-so did this and so-and-so did that. And you really could say, hey, let's just not talk about them like that. Simple things that are very hard things. Are you willing to do that? You have the opportunity tomorrow. You may have the opportunity tonight. I challenge you. Live a life that looks rebellious. Live a life that looks different. A life that's going to shock people because you are living a life that honors God. Charge the gates of hell because if you follow Him, He's already won the battle and you've got nothing to be afraid of. Let's pray. God, we do thank You. You, um, God, You show us so often 
the power that you have. And God, I thank you that, that even, even when we face the obstacles that come up in our lives, God, that you show us how you've already overcome those things. And even if it's not till years later, we can look back and see what you were doing, God, that you have a plan and you have a purpose. And God, I pray for every person in here tonight, Lord, I pray right now, God, if there's anybody in here just facing obstacles, facing challenges, God, that God, that you will give them the courage and the boldness to push through those and to live in a way that glorifies you. And if you're here tonight and you just want somebody to pray for you, you can come back in the back and see myself or see Miss Diana and we will pray for you. Or if you don't want to do that, those green cards that were in your chair, write your prayer request down on that green card and drop it in the basket at the front because we will pray for you. God, we love you. We thank you for who you are, God. We thank you for your son. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray.